Why should we worship Jesus? Why should we worship Jesus? Why should you worship Jesus? Why should you praise and obey and seek to honor and desire to heave up the glory of Jesus? And why should that consume you? Why should that engross you? Why should you, why would we worship Jesus? Now, I want you to be very sure as we begin today, there are many, many reasons that you might worship Jesus. He is God. Yes, he is responsible for our creation. Yes, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One of God. He is Lord. He is King of kings. He is gracious and good and kind and loving to us. He is our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. He gives us eternal life. He is the word, the word that becomes flesh. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. He gives us peace. Not as the world gives, does he give to us. He is the prince of peace. He is our advocate. He is our counselor. He is our perfect high priest. Man, I can just tell you, I could go on and on Uh, But the question is, why should you be engrossed in the worship of Jesus? Why should you be engrossed, consumed with the worship of Jesus? Why should we wake up ready to worship Jesus? Why should we go to sleep putting our head on our pillow still worshiping Jesus? Why should it consume us? Why should you worship Jesus? I want you to hear me. I want you to listen very carefully. This is the reality. This is the truth. It is because he was slain on your behalf, because of you, for your sin. It is because he was slain on your behalf, and he has overcome. And for that, I want to tell you this morning, with all that we have, we should be consumed with the worship of Jesus. How would we not be consumed in the worship of Jesus. I believe today as we continue our study in the book of Revelation, we're going to see that. I believe that's the example that we're going to see here in our study. I believe that's going to be explained to us in our verses today. Today our sermon is entitled, Worthy of Worship, Part 2. We started it last week with the fourth chapter. I believe those two chapters ought to be carried out and studied together. And so today is the second part of that, Worthy of Worship, Part 2. Again, last week we looked at the fourth chapter. Today we're going to look at the entire fifth chapter. Today our verses are found in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Worthy of worship. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. God's word says this, beginning in the fifth chapter of the first verse, it says this. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. 
And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we are thankful for you. We're thankful for your grace shown to us in our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin, not of any work that we would ever muster up, but by faith in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful for this opportunity to come and to worship you. And I pray that that has been our heart. I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray, Lord, that you would speak. And I pray it will be your truth from your word. And I pray, Lord, that your church will be equipped in it, will be built up in it. I pray if there's anyone listening here in person or some other way today that doesn't know our Savior, Jesus, Lord, I pray that their ears would be opened. I pray any distractions would be removed. I pray as the gospel goes out that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that all of this, every piece of it, is for your namesake and for your glory. Lord, I pray that we will be wise today and we would echo and we would mimic the worship that goes on in heaven. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week, you may remember, I told you about the word eschaton. Uh, it is a word that means having to do with end things. Uh, our study in the book of Revelation, especially starting in the fourth chapter, is a work in eschatology. That is a study of in things. And so this work, the book of Revelation, but especially starting in the fourth chapter, is a work of eschatology. That is the, primarily what the book of Revelation is known for. Uh, in chapter 1 it says, It is a message of the things which must soon take place. That is the very first verse. Of the things which must soon take place. Verse 3 reminds us, for the time is near. And this effort for sure 
is an effort of eschatology. It is a study, a thought of the things that are to come. But I want to tell you this morning, I have also found, and I keep finding, that it is something, I would say, so much better than that. I believe it is something so much more profound than that. And I believe it is also an act of, or an endeavor of, Christology. Christology, and that is a study of Christ. Remember back in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, the starting five words of the book of Revelation say the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you, every time we move, every new set of verses, I believe that is the best part. Over and over and over again, it is the unveiling of Jesus. It is the presentation of Jesus. It is a study of Jesus. And I want to tell you, of all the things that are going on here, I believe that is the most awesome thing. Let me tell you this. Be sure of this. The best thing that we can do and the best thing that we could ever do is to see Jesus and to know Jesus. I've become convinced of that. The best thing that we could do, the best thing that we could ever do is to see Jesus, to know Jesus. This week, some of you sitting here, this is the week that many kids leave and they go back to college or they go to college. Maybe they go to trade school. Maybe they go to a, to a job. But many kids are leaving their parents' home this week. And I think about that. Uh, Sarah's leaving this afternoon. Uh, I think about that. The best thing that I could have ever taught her, the best thing that I could have ever encouraged in her uh, is not the, the definition of what it is to be a Baptist. It's not being on a church roll. It's not a set of moral rules. The best thing that I could have ever done is to encourage in her a love for Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, if we love Jesus, if that's what we do and that's who we are and that's what we encourage in others, that is the best thing that could ever happen. You know what ought to happen in our country? I could talk about changing this, reforming this. The best thing that would ever happen is if people saw and knew and loved Jesus. And I believe that's what happens as we look through the verses of this study. Okay, let's work through our 14 verses today. Now, I want you to remember the context. In the context, the church age has ended. Now, with the end of the third chapter, the church age has ended. Now, the Bible tells us John has taken in the Spirit to the throne room uh, where, where a tremendous uh, demonstration of worship is taking place. That is described here in the fourth chapter and now in the fifth chapter. So John is taken in the spirit to the throne room of God himself, and he finds himself in a great demonstration of worship that is taking place. All right, we begin today in verse 1. It says this, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. God the Father we know is on the throne. In his right hand is a book. Now the most literal translation, and I believe the best understanding, is a scroll. And so he has in his right hand a scroll. Now John records here an interesting thing. It says that it is written inside 
and outside. It is written inside and also on the back. Think about this. In the ancient world, the length of a message was limited to the length of the scroll. Now, I want you to think about that. When you ran out of scroll, guess what's got to happen? The message has to end. And so the length of the message many times is determined by the length of the scroll. Well, in rare cases, they would finish the message by flipping the scroll over and finishing the message on the back. Now, let me tell you what that means. It means in this case, it shows us there was much to say, and it shows us it was all said. And so understand, nothing was left off. It wasn't due to a limited of the size of the scroll. There was much to say in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here's what you can understand. And it was all said. Every word was said. Nothing was left off. All right, the seals. They were impressions, usually stamped into wax. Uh, they were to seal the scroll shut, but it was for a very important reason. It would seal it shut, but it also showed that nothing had been changed. It also showed that nothing had been corrupted, nothing had been blotted out or added to the original message. And so when you find this scroll and it has the seals and the seals are intact, you can understand this is the message. And so we find here there is a scroll and in place are the seven seals. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Verse 2, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Verse 2 tells us there is a strong angel. Some Bible translations say it was a mighty angel. Now, I think this shows the opening of the scrolls wasn't done in physical strength. The limitation in opening the scrolls wasn't because there wasn't somebody strong enough to open the scrolls. It says this is a strong angel. This is a mighty angel. And so it's a lack of physical strength is not the issue. It says here the strong angel is proclaiming. Uh, in the Greek, it is a word that means preaching or announcing. And he's saying, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And so I want you to see the picture here in the second verse. Over the crowd, into the crowd, the angel is saying, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And he says it repetitively. He announces it. He proclaims it. Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? The word here for worthy, it means suitable. It means deserving. And the most literal translation is has weight enough. And so I want you to see, established here in the second verse, the key to the opening of the book, the key to the opening of the scroll is worthiness. Who is suitable? Who is deserving? Who has weight enough to open the scroll? And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth 
or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. The Bible says here, no one that is there assembled in heaven. It says that no one who is alive on the earth, it says no one who is under the earth. This is referencing the place of death, shoal. Of those who have died, there is no one that is able. Of those who are living on the earth, there is no one who is able. Of those who are assembled in heaven, there is no one able. No one is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Verse 4. And then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. John here sees the situation. He hears the repetitive cry of the angel, who is worthy, who is worthy, hears the cries. He watches as the search takes place. He sees the search and no one is found as it concludes. And the Bible says here, he is overcome. In verse four it says, he began to weep greatly. Now I want you to see the heaviness of this. I want you to see uh, the, the truth of this. This word for weeping greatly, uh, it's not a word that only means duration of weeping. It does mean that. And so he, he wept for some time, but it also talks about the depth of his weeping. And so it is, it is in deep sorrow. It is in great sorrow that produces this great weeping. Now I want to ask the question here, why the great sorrow? This is an important part of our understanding this chapter. Why the great sorrow? Here we are, and he sees that no one is able, no one is worthy, and so there is great sorrow. Why the great sorrow? Now, I want you to be sure it's not because he is curious alone. Sometimes somebody will get a piece of mail, and I, I look, well, I wonder what that is. Uh, sometimes you'll be, you'll be in the middle of something, and somebody will come along and hear part of it, and hey, they want to know what, what you're saying. It's not for that reason. It's not because he wants to know what's happening. It's not because he is curious alone about what, what is going on. It means this. These end things, listen very carefully, can only be ushered in, can only be opened, can only be brought to be by the one who is worthy. Now, I want you to hear that again. Why is he so upset? Why does it grieve him deeply? It is because these end things can only be ushered in, can only be opened, can only be brought to be by the one who is worthy. And outside of one being worthy, listen to me, there's going to be no final judgment of sin. Outside of one who is worthy, there's not going to be the removal of sin. Outside of one who is worthy, there's going to be no final defeat and the casting away of Satan and his demons. Outside of one who is worthy, there's not going to be any eternal peace. Outside of one who is worthy, there's not going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And those things can only be ushered in by the one who is worthy. Friends, I want you to understand this this morning. We need one to be worthy. All is lost. Listen to me. We need one to be worthy. All is lost if there's not one who is found worthy. And so he weeps and it grieves him to his core. We need somebody. We need one who is worthy. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, 
Stop weeping. Behold, the line that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. What a tremendous verse. It's so deep. I don't know if we can get the, 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 the profoundness of its understanding, but what a tremendous verse this is. The elder says, stop weeping. It's a command. Stop. And then he says, behold, it's a word in our language that says, see, stop, see, look. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah. The lion was a symbol for the tribe of Judah. The lion signified strength and skill and power and majesty. So he says, stop crying, stop weeping, see the line that is from the tribe of Judah. Then he says, the root of David. Now I want you to see this. There's, <laughs> this is an awesome thing. I want you to watch this. We know Jesus is, the Bible says, the offspring of David. He is a shoot that grows out of David. The Bible tells us that in several places. We studied this on Wednesday night. He is in the line of David. Jesus is called the son of David. He is an offspring of David. But I want you to notice here, it doesn't say he is a branch of David, a shoot of David, the offspring of David. It says here, he is the root of David. Now, I want you to think that's important here. The root is not the branch that comes out. The root is the part that produces something. And so here it says that Jesus produces David. Now that starts to be a little bit crazy. That starts to be hard to understand. How is that possible? He produces David. In Isaiah chapter 11, in the first verse and in the 10th verse, it says the Messiah will be the branch, the shoot of David. That's in verse 1. And it also says that the Messiah would be the root, verse 10, that produces David. Now again, the question becomes, how can you be both? How can he produce David, but also come forth from David? Now remember I said this was a Christological study. It's a study of Jesus. I want you to watch this. Jesus produces David because he's God. He's our creator, God. Jesus comes from David because he is a man. And so I want you to see what this says here in this one simple line. It says that he is fully God and he is fully man. That is the root of David. He is the creator of David. He's also the man that comes forth from David. He is fully God and he is fully man. Now it says that he has overcome so as to open the book and it seals. Now there is a picture that's being built here. It's a marvelous picture. Uh, he has overcome. Now I want you to notice a couple of things. The first is this, the word overcome, notice it is in the past tense. He has overcome. Now that word for overcome, you go to the original language, it is a word that means prevailed. And so it means he has prevailed. Another definition, he has conquered. And so he has conquered. Another definition says triumphed over. And so he has triumphed over. Now I'm going to keep going. Let's look at verse 6. And I saw 
between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John sees, and standing in the center of it all, in the center of the throne of glory, in the center of all this this gathering that has, has assembled, he says he sees a lamb standing. Now I want you to take note of that. He is standing. He goes on to describe that lamb, and he says, as if slain. Now that translates as having been slain. So he sees standing in the midst of all of this, there is a lamb, and the lamb that is standing there as, is as having been slain. The word here for slain means slayed, slaughtered. Listen, it's an aggressive word, killed in violence. It doesn't mean a natural death. It doesn't mean laid down in peaceful death. It means slaughtered, killed in violence. Having seven horns, horns are a symbol of power. Having seven eyes, this shows that he sees all and he discerns all. The seven spirits of God, we've talked about that. That is the Holy Spirit of God. And so it is marvelous, this scene that we're looking at. There is standing at the center of the throne, there in the midst of the gathering, there is standing the Lamb of God, Jesus. Now here's what it says. And he, it is visible to them, has been slain. And so they're standing in the midst of all of this worship is the Lamb of God, Jesus. And it is visible. He has been killed. He has been slaughtered in violence. And yet he is not dead. That wasn't his end. He stands, though he has been slain. Now picture that. He has been slaughtered. He has been killed. But though he has been slaughtered, though he has been slain, he is standing in their midst. Verse 5 says, as one who has overcome. And the lamb, listen to me, who was slain, there he stands, and he stands in triumph. Now here's what the Bible says, and that lamb is worthy. John says, oh, that somebody would be worthy. Oh, he weeps. That lamb, the lamb having been slain, standing, having overcome, he is worthy. Verse 7, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Because he is worthy, there's one that's worthy. Because he is worthy, because he is able, as he takes the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the lamb. Now it's an interesting picture. It says each one here has a harp, and golden bowls, which are, the Bible says, the prayers of the saints. Now, I want you to see that very quickly. The incense before the Lord, the the pleasing smell before the Lord, the Bible says here are the prayers of the saints. And so they have these bowls, 
And just like we might burn incense or spray something to make the room smell better, the pleasing aroma before the Lord, the pleasing smell before the Lord, it says are the prayers of the saints. Now, all week long, I thought about that, and I kept thinking about that. Listen to this. Our prayers are worship to God. Do you know that? Sometimes we think, well, I'm just coming and I'm... Listen, our prayers are worships to God, worship to God. Our prayers are pleasing to God. And so when you come in prayer, you know what you're doing? You're telling God he's your hope. When you come in prayer, you're telling God he's your answer. When you come in prayer, you're telling God, you know what, if you'll tell me an answer, I'll, I'll obey and my desire is to submit to that. It is saying, I know that you're my help, you're my strong tower, you're my fortress, you're my salvation. And so God is worshiped when his people come in prayer. Here's what it says, God is pleased, it is a blessing to God when his people come in prayer. Now let me tell you something, if that doesn't make you want to pray more, I don't know what will. If that doesn't make us say, you know what, I, I want to fill a bowl up, and I want him to be pleased with the, the prayers of my life, that I knew he was my answer, and he was my hope, and he was my strength, and I filled a bowl up that was pleasing to him. He is my God. That ought to make us want to pray more. That's a whole different sermon. All right, let's go to verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy of you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now there is singing. It says they break out in singing. They're singing to the Lamb. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seal. Why? For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 10. I'll come back and explain both of them. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. All right, let's go back to verse 9. You are worthy. Why is he worthy? For you were slain. Jesus stands there as the lamb who is slain. Listen, it's talking about Calvary. It's talking about the cross of Calvary. And he was slain, he was killed, he was slaughtered on the cross of Calvary. And here's what it says. And purchased for God. Now I found something, and I think it's very interesting. I want to tell you about it. And purchased for God. I found several of the earliest manuscripts include the word us. And so it would say this, purchased us for God. Now it's not just one manuscript, but several of the earliest manuscripts, they include that word. Now you can take that word out, it doesn't lose meaning, but I think when you add that word, it adds to the meaning. Purchased us for God. Purchased us for God. Now I want you to see the redeemed, the 24 elders, they represent the redeemed of earth, the redeemed of earth saying, you were slain and you're being slain, you purchased us for God. It is personal, it wasn't done in silver, it wasn't done in gold, it wasn't done in some currency, but it says, but with your 
blood. The saved in Christ are redeemed in the precious blood of Jesus. Now it says the fruit of that, in that transaction, you have made them a kingdom. It means that those that have been purchased, those that are redeemed in Jesus Christ, they are citizens of glory. He says not only that, you're a priest. That means we have access to our holy God. And it says, and they shall reign upon the earth. Now I want you to stay hooked right here. These are deep things. These verses tell us what it means that Jesus has overcome. It says as one who's overcome, he over, that's, he's overcome. These verses actually show us what it means that he has overcome. Here's the question. What has he overcome? What has he overcome? Now I want to show you right here. It's talking about two things. The first thing that it is talking about, he stands as one who is slain and he has overcome. What has he overcome? The first thing it's talking about is the atonement. The atonement. Understand the lamb slain paid for sin. In the shedding of his blood, in the giving of his life, sin is paid for on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, the lamb who was slain, has triumphed over sin. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, And he himself is the propitiation. It's a word that means atonement. And he himself is the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Friends, listen to me. The slain lamb has overcome sin. He has paid for sin. He has atoned sin. I want you to listen to me very carefully this morning. If you are a sinner today, listen to me. You can be sure your remedy is in Jesus. And I want to tell you today, I don't have to beat around a bush. I don't have to try to rephrase it in a way that makes somebody happy. I can tell you this, if you are a sinner, your sins are paid for in the finished work of Jesus. And if you'll trust him, he will save you. He has triumphed over sin, the slain lamb. Praise the Lord. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He triumphed over sin as the lamb who was slain. It's awesome. There's another part to it. The first thing it means he overcame. He triumphed over sin. The second thing is this. Now I want you to picture this. As he, the lamb Jesus, stands there. As he stands there in the midst of this crowd. There is no doubt that death has been defeated. You see, the lamb was killed. He died as slain. He was slaughtered. It is visible when you see him. When you look at him, he stands there as a lamb who has been slain. And now at the center of this scene, he stands and he is alive. Listen to me what it is. It's a testimony that Jesus has overcome and death is defeated. Jesus has overcome and death is emptied of its power. Jesus has overcome. Believer, I want you to hear me today. In death, we have nothing to dread. In Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain, he has overcome death. In death, we have nothing to fear. Oh, death, where is your victory? He's overcome death. The lamb has overcome. Right here, we have the answer to our first question of the day. 
Why worship Jesus? Why worship Jesus? Why be consumed with it? We ought to be. Why be ate up with it? We ought to be. Why worship Jesus? Why wake up in the morning and open our eyes and say, oh, I want to worship Jesus. Why go through the day and speak in a way and live in a way and do business in a way and represent him in a way that it praises Jesus? Why go to bed at night and still be singing praises to Jesus? Why be consumed with it? Hear me, listen to me very well. It is because he was slain and he paid for my sin and he died my death and he gave his very life for me, shedding his own blood so that I could be by faith in Jesus, a citizen of the kingdom, so that I might be wearing the righteousness of God himself that death no longer would be my enemy, that death no longer would be my concern. When I, when I see this picture, when I read these verses, when we understand the truth of our gospel, we ought to well up and worship the lamb who is slain has overcome. He has paid for sin. He has defeated death. The lamb who is slain has overcome. In grace, he's extended that to us by faith. The lamb who is slain has overcome. The lamb who is slain has overcome. And so friends, if you want to know why we worship Jesus, it's because he alone is worthy. He's worthy. Look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did. He paid for my sin. He purchased me back from the dead of my rebellion. He paid for me. I've noticed this. It's one of the awesome things about gathering on Sunday morning. I've noticed this. Worship feeds worship. You ever notice that? Worship inspires worship. Now, I can tell you the flip side of that's true as well. <laughs> Being foul and mean and nasty, it encourages others to do the same as well. Uh, but worship encourages worship. Worship builds worship. It inspires worship. Well, I want you to see what happens here. They are there, the four living ones, they're worshiping, the 24 elders, oh, they found the one, they're worshiping, and the worship is growing. I want you to see what happens in verse 11. And then I looked, praise the Lord, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. The angels were watching all this and they couldn't stand it. They were watching all this and they had to join in. And John at this point in the scene, he looks around and it says that he sees myriads of myriads. Let me explain that to you. It means ten thousands, ten thousands of ten thousands. It means ten thousands of groups of ten thousands. And so he looks around and he sees ten thousands of groups of ten thousands. That is an uncountable number. And if you want to add to that, it says, and thousands of groups of thousands. And so he looks around and there is now myriads of myriads that have joined in. Saying with a loud voice, verse 12, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might 
and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. I read that verse. I want to tell you, remember Paul tried to tell us the same thing. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10. So that the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I want you to see what has now happened. The myriads of myriads have joined in and the chorus of heaven's throne room that echoes throughout the scene, the worship of heaven is this, the lamb who was slain has overcome and myriads of myriads have joined in. The lamb who was slain has overcome and death is defeated and sin is atoned for and there stands our lamb and he is worthy. He's worthy. John, there is one. There is one, the lamb, Jesus. The final picture today is verse 14. Verse 14 says this, and the four living creatures, remember that's how we started in back in verse chapter four, and the four living creatures kept saying, amen. Amen means so be it, it means truth. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. And so as they are praising, as they are singing, as they are, as they are saying the, the lamb has, has overcome, as the worship is taking place, the four living ones keep saying, so be it. Somebody else shouts out, amen. Maybe the one with the ox face says, truth, truth, amen. And the elders fall down. Why worship Jesus? Let's talk about today. Why worship Jesus? Let me tell you, friend, why you ought to worship Jesus. It's because he sees you in your sin. He knows your secret sin. He knows the ones that you've hidden and pulled off no one knows about. He knows the ones that everybody knows about. He sees you in your sin. And he comes, he takes on the form of a man, the branch of David. He comes, he lives a life of no sin that he may offer himself in your place, in my place. He comes and he dies my death. He comes and he pays for your sin. And that's what he does on the cross of Calvary. You want to know why you ought to worship Jesus? It's because he saw you in your sin and he loved you too much to leave you there. He saw you in your sin. He didn't stomp you out in it. He didn't write you off. He came and he remedied it in his own blood. You want to know why you ought to worship Jesus? It's because they stretched out his hands and they nailed nails through him. And there he bled out paying for our misdeeds, for our shame and our guilt. He dies our death. They pull him off of that cross and they put him in a borrowed grave, a rich man's grave. And three days later he walks out of that and the lamb that is now risen is also the lamb that was slain. And I want to tell you this, both of those testify. He has Overcome. You want to know why you ought to worship Jesus? He paid your penalty. You want to know why you ought to worship Jesus? He stands as the risen living lamb. You want to know why you ought to worship Jesus? Because in great grace, he says, if you'll trust me, I'll save you. If you'll receive me in faith this very day, I'll save you today.
Listen, if you're a believer and you've done that, we overcome in and through the Lamb. We've overcome. We're forgiven. Death is no longer our enemy in Christ. If you've never done that, listen, that's offered to you right now. The Lamb who was slain has overcome. We worship Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we praise you. We come and I know you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I know you're the Christ, the Messiah, the promised anointed one. I know you're my advocate, my, my, my Lord Jesus. But I also know, Lord, the Prince of glory, King of kings, God Almighty, Creator God, Jesus, came and was slain in shame, carrying my sin, carrying my shame, Defeated death, defeated sin stands as the risen lamb who was slain. You've overcome. Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you for that. I worship you for that. Lord, I ask that you forgive me. And that becomes commonplace to me. I ask that you forgive me when I become cold or indifferent or apathetic to that. Lord, may it never leave my mind. May it never leave my heart. My lamb Jesus was slain in my behalf. and He has overcome and in him, we are overcomers. Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that worship has, has welled up in here today. I pray that we leave here and this runs through our minds as we go through the afternoon, as we go back to sleep tonight, that it, we can't get it off our mind. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. Praise you. And I pray for somebody, and maybe several, that do not know you. I pray in the hearing of the gospel of a Savior that paid for their sin, offers in grace forgiveness and restoration renewal. I pray that there will be some that would turn to you today. Pray that any hindrance will be removed. Lord, thank you. We praise you. We love you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service today the way we close all of our services with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you, as, as awesome as the preached word is, as, as awesome as God's word is, I want to tell you, it is preached for a response. There's a decision to make. And I want to tell you, if you've never trusted Christ, his grace is offered to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you'll turn to him today, he'll save you today. I don't care how great your sin is. Don't care what your family name is, how good or how bad it is. Don't, don't care what situation you find yourself today. If you'll trust Jesus today, he'll save you today. If you've never done that, you come. Let's settle that. If you need more information, you come. Let's settle that today. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe as God, as God has led you here, you come as well. Together we'll uphold his word. We'll preach his gospel till he comes back again, comes back for us, for his glory, for his namesake. Maybe you're here and you've trusted in Christ but never fought in believer's baptism. And it's a testimony to what we believe of Christ. It's a testimony of what's happened to us in Christ. It's not part of our salvation. It's a testimony to it. So if you're here and you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I've recently become one, or maybe it was longer back, but I've never fought in believer's baptism, you come, and we'll set a date. It'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here today, and you come, and this scene just stirs in your heart, and you want to come and pray here at the altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you're going through something. The Bible says nothing's too big, too, nothing's too small. You come, the throne of grace. You can pray here at the altar. You can pray with me. So we close out our service. We close out this time. Listen, if God is speaking, if he has spoken, we're not promised another day. We're not promised tomorrow. Listen, his grace is offered to you right now in the preached gospel of Jesus Christ. Settle it today. Settle it today. As we stand and sing, 
God is speaking to you. If he's spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. I'll meet you here.